Today, uh, since it's um, kind of a special day, we're not going to go into our theme uh, uh, that we had talked about, which is harvest, which I'm also teaching on um, Tuesday nights. This Tuesday, we will have um, everyone in here together one more time uh, before we start back on our separate um, classes and our uh, ladies and men's ministry. But today I wanted to, since it's our anniversary, to talk about Revive and Renew. Revive and renew. If ever a time the scripture in Chronicles was needed, it's today. If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We really... In this country, in fact, the whole world, we really need a touch from God. Amen. Amen. But, you know, we know what the prophecies say. Jesus said, I don't pray for the whole world, but I do pray for you. Amen. And because he has prayed for us, that no greater, you may have your pastor pray for you, but I'm telling you that Jesus said he prayed for you. Amen. Because he said, I pray for them, his disciples, and who, all of those who would be one through them. So Jesus, in fact, prayed for you. But today we want to look at this theme about revive and renew. You know, maybe you might think that's a strange theme for the fall, where everything is starting to turn brown and fall off. But I tell you what, every day, I think in Lamentations it says his mercies are renewed every day. I'm so glad of that. If you were born under the Old Testament, you'd have to wait once a year. You'd have to wait till the Day of Atonement to really be able to say, okay, the sacrifice has been accepted, so now I'm perfect. And then, you know, the next day you do something, you, you, you would be in trouble again. But today, every day can be your Day of Atonement. Every day can be the day when God moves you, when he touches you, when he lifts you up. Amen. When he blesses you. The Bible says that we are seated together in heavenly places. And as I told you, I think it was uh, sometime this week, I was listening to, uh, my wife puts on every preacher she does, she, she listens to everybody, and, uh, and she had on Kenneth Hagan, and he made this point that I thought was interesting. It says that Jesus is seated on the right hand of power, right? And then he said, Jesus being the head, you never have a body with a head over here. So if Jesus is seated in the right hand of power, if we are the body, so are we. Amen. You don't have a disembodied head. You don't go around with the head over here and the body over here. If you're in the body, then you're with Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we too are seated and the scripture says we are seated together with him in what? Heavenly places. You may say, well, you look around at the pew and you may say, well, this is just a wooden pew. But as far as the authority and the power that we have been granted, we are seated in heavenly places. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Are you called by his name? Are you called by his name? If you have taken on his name in baptism, then you are called by his name. In fact, the Jews were called the people of the name. This, that's where we get the word the Semitic from. It, it comes from the word Shem, which means the name. People of the name. I'm the people of the name. <laughs> Amen. I, I had a rabbi tell me uh, I should claim uh, my Jewish heritage because, <laughs> because my grandmother was Jewish and he was telling me that the Jews they accept through the maternal line, but he doesn't know I have a much greater claim. <laughs> born not of blood, or the will of man, right? That's what it says. Amen. But of Jesus. I don't claim a connection to, to God through that. I only claim it through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible says if we will humble ourselves, if we want God's presence, if we want God to work in our life, the key is humility. We have to come before him in humility. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and with, will heal their land. I'm, I'm, whenever I read this scripture, I'm reminded of Daniel. That's who comes to mind. Every day, three times a day, the Bible says he would open his window. And I believe he would face towards Jerusalem because he remembered this scripture. 
the, the, the answer that, that Solomon prayed when he was dedicating the temple. And this was the answer that God gave him. He prayed, he said, Lord, if your people Israel, because he knew, he knew that there was going to come a time when they may forsake or they turn back. He said, if my people, if Israel were to forsake you, then have mercy Grant them forgiveness. And God's answer was this. Listen, if my people, which are called by my name. Because when he dedicated the temple, my name is going to be on this place. Shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You know, anytime I really was desperate, I can tell you this. I can remember a few occasions in my life where it was, it was, a, it was a desperate situation. It was like, a, okay, Lord, if you don't do this... If you don't show up right this minute, it's over. I can remember some times in my life where I specifically went down in the basement one time a few years ago. And I I just laid on the carpet flat and I said, Lord, and I cried out. (laughs) I cried out. You see, when we humble ourselves and come to God in humility, he has promised. He has promised. When we come with a broken and a contrite heart, he said he will in no wise despise or turn away. That's the only sacrifice today you need to bring to God. That's the only sacrifice that we need to bring to God. My prayer today, my prayer for a long time has been, Lord, change me. And a lot of times we we look at a situation and we say, change the situation. But God really may just want to change you. Job was praying for the change of situation. Lord, why am I in this situation? Why is all these things happening? God was really saying, I want you to change your attitude and your outlook and your perspective of the situation. It was only when Job truly understood that, in other words, truly humbled himself. Because for the first 30 odd chapters of the book, he's defending himself. Lord, I, I did this, I come to church, I pay my tithes, I do everything right, and all of this has still happened. And then his friends are trying to give justifications of why God is allowing this to happen. But in truth, there was no change even after he talked to God until Job accepted that he couldn't understand the situation. And God has said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You're not going to be able to work God out. <laughs> you are not, no matter how many PhDs you have or theological disciplines you have, you are not going to be able to work God. There's going to be a point where you either believe him or you don't. You either humble yourself or you don't. But he says, if you will, And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Amen. I want to talk today about three sins. Well, not three specific sins, but three categories of sins. And how God dealt with it in the Old Testament and how he deals with it in the New Testament. The first category is called a sin against the body. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body or external to the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Galatians 5.19 says, now the works of the flesh are manifest. That means they're apparent, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. You know, if we were to put it in modern terminology, drugs, gluttony. Drunkenness, illicit sex is what they would call it today. Smoke, anything that really damages the body is really a sin against the body. You know, last night as we were sitting to eat, Sister Robin, she's not in here so I can talk about her now. She said, Pastor, you better be drinking water. (laughs) Because she knows me. Even in the shirt, I said, Pastor, I'm watching you. So Sister Audrey came and she said, would you like a soda? Would you like a would would you like a, um, a, f- a fruit punch? And I looked at Sister Robin and I looked at Audrey and says no. <laughs> but as Sister Audrey was walking away, I kind of said, <laughs> "So Sister Audrey brought me a soda." 
I'm going to have to repent. I sinned against the body. I sinned against the body. You know, all of us have sinned. John says, if you say you have no sin, you just did a sin. Because <laughs> you're a liar. And the truth is not within you. So sins against the body is something that it's very easy to do. We may say, well, I don't commit adultery. I don't do this. Yes, but if you, if you damage the temple effectively, you're sinning against the body. Amen. Because the Bible says, knowing not that your body is the temple of God, the Holy Spirit, right? In the temple, they, they treated it with such reverence. They, they, they made sure you couldn't even come close. And so God is telling us that there is a sin against the body. Now, some are very open and everybody can see it, and some are, 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 are things that you don't see. But the Bible speaks about sins against the body. Now, the, the next major category that I want to talk about is sins against your brother or sister. Leviticus 6.2 says, If a soul sin and commit trespass against the Lord and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep or in fellowship or in a thing taken away by violence or hath deceived his neighbor. See, so when we, when we do things to hurt another fellow believer or, or, or any other person, it's a sin against our fellow, fellow man. And that was called a trespass sin. Yes, it was uh, also breaking God's um, word, but, but principal, principally it was against our fellow man. And then the third sin, which you all know, was a direct sin against God. And that was also laid out in the Old Testament. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Idolatry was a direct sin against God himself. You know, you didn't lie against your neighbor, but you, you worshipped and put something above God. Judges 10.13 says, Yet he have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. Sins against God directly are things like pride, unbelief, unbelief, blasphemy, breaking ceremonial law in the Old Testament. All those things were direct sins against the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And there were certain very strict criteria in the Old Testament. Of course, most of the sins always ended the same way. You were cut off from, from your people. You died an unrighteous death. And in the Old Testament, there was no uh, offering, there was no um, remediation for a deliberate sin. There was forgiveness for unintentional sins, certain unintentional sins. Leviticus 20.10, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. So I want you to think about this, and I'm not going to ask for the answer or your thoughts right now, but did David commit adultery? How come he was not put to death. Don't answer me. We'll come back to that later. But in the Old Testament, there was normally no forgiveness. There was no um, way around that. Adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and adulteress shall be put to death. For most sins, breaking the ceremonial law, picking up sticks on the Sabbath in um, Numbers 15, that man was stoned to death. In fact, you could take your children to the gate of the, the elders and, and, and they could be stoned to death for being disrespectful. Anyone want to live under the law? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yes, we do. In the Old Testament, the one sin you could get forgiveness for was trespass against your brother. But it required what? Full confession and restitution. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord. A ram without blemish out of the flock with thy estimation for a trespass offering. So if you stole someone's cow and uh, you decided that you, you were going to repent of that, you had to restore the cow and add a fifth to it. And then you had to make a full confession. If you did that, you could be forgiven. The, the interesting thing about the trespass sin 
It's the one sin that you could still be forgiven even though it was premeditated because you don't steal a cow accidentally. <laughs> if it's going to be a cow, you have some planning. You, you, you brought the truck with you. <laughs> you didn't just walk by a field and say, oh, I like that cow and take it with me. No. So the difference with the trespass sin in the Old Testament was it was the one sin which even if deliberate, because if you, if you tell a lie against someone, you know, that's, that's deliberate. It's the one sin you could get forgiveness, even though deliberate, but there were some conditions. And I'm talking about revival and renewal today. You had to confess. You had to bring uh, an offering and you had to provide restitution. And the priest shall make an atonement. That means a covering. We certainly need a covering before the Lord. And it shall be forgiven him for anything of all that he had done in trespassing. Isn't that awesome? That even in the Old Testament where most of the time the judgment was so severe, it says in Hebrews that that, um, that, that, that it, you reaped a just recompense, that under the, the, the word of the angel you, you, you were going to be sentenced. But even in the Old Testament, there was an element of mercy if there was true repentance, if there was confession. And it shall be forgiven him for anything of all that he hath done in trespassing. You know, a few years ago there was this, it used to be so popular, the prayer of, what was it? The prayer of... Jabeth. And um, that's a great prayer, but you know, it's not actually my favorite prayer. The one I really like the most in the Old Testament is actually Daniel's prayer in chapter 9. Because of the two people in the Old Testament that God had nothing negative to say, Daniel is one of them. And yet when he prays in chapter 9, you read it, it's a prayer of confession. It's saying, Lord, forgive my sins. Here's the guy who prayed three times a day, was willing to die, be thrown into a lion's den rather than stop praying, stop confessing. That's what the power of, 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 of commitment really is about. When you are committed, when you absolutely know and believe a thing. But in the Old Testament, as I said, under this, under this trespass offering, you could still be forgiven even with deliberate sins. Now now we come to the third one, which is the real, I won't say they're not serious, but this is the one where there was really no room, no, no wiggle room. There was no forgiveness against deliberate sin in the Old Testament against God. If it was un- unintentional, you could still be forgiven. But if it was deliberate breaking of a ceremonial law when you knew about it, Hebrews 10.20, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And I've highlighted that in yellow for a reason to come. So we see that in the Old Testament there were these three categories of sin. There was the sin against your fellow man. There was the sin against yourself, which a lot of us commit. And there was the sin against God. And there were different uh, responses to those three categories. Now, you notice it said under two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses. You couldn't just accuse one person, couldn't accuse someone, and, it, and that would be it. No, it had to be under two or three witnesses. So when people come to me and say so-and-so and so-and-so, I say, that's fine. You willing to come and let's go talk to them? If they're not willing to come and go talk to them, I, I'm not going to, you know... There's a biblical way to deal with issues. Amen. Amen. And in the New Testament, when we look at those same things, let's look at how the New Testament deals with them. In the New Testament, there are two things that were given to deal with these three categories of sin. The Bible in the Old Testament actually also gave it, but it wasn't so revealed. It was, it was hidden in the atonement ceremony. In Leviticus 17, I didn't put the scripture reference, but God says, I have given you the blood for an atonement upon the altar. And that word in the Hebrew means a covering. Kippur, it's where we get the word, uh, the day that is coming up at the end of this month, 
Yom Kippur, the day, it really is the day of coverings. Because I have more than one. I need comfort. <laughs> I don't just have one failure. But it's the day of coverings. It's actually September 30th is the Jewish most holiest day for them. Yom Kippur, the day of coverings. In a couple weeks will be the Feast of Trumpets. And 10 days after that will be, um, sorry, the, the, uh, the, the Day of Atonement, and it's the end of the month, sorry, is the, the Feast of Tabernacles. But in the Old Testament, God prepared a solution for these three types of sins. In, in Genesis 8, when, when, Moses, when Noah came out of the ark, the first thing he did, anyone, what did he do? He built an altar. First thing he did when he came out the ark, he built an altar. And the Bible says that God smelt a sweet savor. God smelt a sweet savor. The incense coming off the altar, which today is our prayers. God, I hope your prayer is a sweet savor. That God hears your prayer and it, and it comes to him as a sweet savor. In other words, Noah was actually giving thanks. He was saying, you took us through a whole year in this boat. We survived with all these animals. And the first thing he did was offer a sacrifice. And God said he smelt a sweet savor. And you know what God said? And it's, a, it's really a revelatory verse. He says, I will no longer curse the earth for man's sake because he can't help it. Because his thoughts are evil continually from his youth. Think about it. God was saying, listen, if I was going to start judging sin instantly and take into account every failure, there would be no one left alive. God discounted the fact anymore that we were fully in control. It was his mercy. So he had to provide a covering. The covering for the soul is given in, 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 in Leviticus 17, says, for I've given you the blood for a covering. And it says the life of the blood really it's the soul nefesh of the blood in the old testament so the, the the covering of the blood was for the soul and we've talked so many times about the fact when adam and eve sinned they tried to make a covering and it did cover the body but there was still something wrong because if it had really made a perfect covering they wouldn't have been hiding it couldn't cover the soul and so God had to make what coats of skins. It's implied there was a blood sacrifice. The skins were for the body, but the blood was for the soul. And that's what God prepared. So in the New Testament, the covering in the Old Testament was the blood. In the New Testament, the Bible tells us it's the spirit. It's the spirit. Ephesians tells us now is your soul sealed. It's, it's the covering now today. We don't have to bring... Bulls and goats and turtle doves. Aren't you glad? I'm very glad. I tried cutting up a chicken once and it wasn't very good. <laughs> I cut all the wrong parts and it put me off a chicken for six months. <laughs> so I would have made a very poor high priest or Levite. I would have been very bad at it. So I'm so glad that you don't have to bring a blood sacrifice. All you have to bring, all you have to bring is a broken and a contrite heart. I'm talking about renewal and revival. So God today, for those three sins, he offers his spirit in the New Testament. We don't have to bring a blood covering. And the washing of the body is for the water. So now there are still two coverings, one for the soul, which is the spirit, and the baptism for the body. Because the Bible tells us that baptism washes away the sins of the flesh. In fact, our, our fundamental scripture, Acts 2.38, what does it say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, Jesus Christ. For the reason, the reason, the reason you baptize is for the remission of your sins remission of your sins. You know, as I said, I was shocked uh, uh, up until a few years ago because uh, I, I had this assumption that the Baptist people believed in baptism. 
come to find out they don't actually believe in the necessity of baptism. They think it's just an outward symbol. But the Bible tells us it's much more than an outward symbol. It actually has a salvation effect. See, in the Old Testament, you died under the testimony of two witnesses. In the New Testament, you live under the testimony of two witnesses. And I'm getting ahead of myself. You know what they are? The water and the blood. (laughs) Do you see how God turned it around? Amen. Baptism washes away the sins of the flesh. Acts 22, 16. Ananias, when, when, he, when he got to Damascus and he, he said, I had this vision and I was told to come and see you because you're going to tell me what to do. What did he say? Arise and be baptized. And what does he say? Wash. This shows the necessity of baptism. It's not just an added blessing, but it has an actual salvation effect. If you do not get baptized, it, it implies you still have the sins. Because it washes away your sins. It's the covering for the body. The receipt of the Holy Spirit is the covering for the soul. You need both witnesses. You need both witnesses. Now, let's get back. So this was the stuff that God provided for remission of sins, for the covering of those three sins. In the New Testament, let's look a little bit more in detail how that works. Because we need forgiveness for the sins against the body. We need forgiveness for sins against our fellow man, and sins against God, uh, now revealed through the Holy Spirit. And God has provided that. And there are three. Remember what it said? I, I, I said, remember this. It said that in the testimony of two or three witnesses, you were, you were going to die. But in the, case, in the case, case of the New Testament, if you have fulfilled under the, the witness of two or three witnesses, you can live. You're all going silently. I hope you see this. 1 John 5, 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. So we have three sins and God has provided three witnesses. Three categories of sins. And he's provided three witnesses to help us deal with that in the New Testament. Let's look at this now. The sins against the body. We, we have uh, the first step is godly repentance. Godly sorrow and a turn away, a change of direction. Um, the, the word repentance actually means turning around. It used to be a, a military command. When the soldiers were mass marching, the drill sergeant back in the Middle Ages, the equivalent would say, repent, and then they would turn around. That's what re- true repentance is. It's not just crying. It's not just ball. It's changing what you do. It's changing directions. Now let's see again about this baptism thing. We see in Cornelius' case, who was the first Gentile, let's read it, Acts chapter 11, verse 13. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, send men to Joppa. Remember now, I told you that the ministry of angels stopped in the New Testament once Jesus died. And I say it every week, what happened in the temple? The veil was ripped in two. The symbolism of that separation, of the force of separation which the angels represented, was moved out the way. So they're not allowed to preach the gospel anymore. They're not allowed to, to, to give, bring salvation. The angel could only tell him, send to Joppa. There will be a man there who will tell you what you ought to do. Send to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now, read this very carefully who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. So now, when we get a little bit further, whatever Peter said, the angels said, characterized what he was going to say as words that would tell the house how to be saved. You following me? So whatever Peter, when we, when we read what Peter says, those are words to do with salvation, not an added blessing. So if you were to go to that chapter and look at verse 48, anyone, I didn't put it in here, I don't think. So someone find Acts chapter 11. Thank you very much. I like sweating. (laughs) 
Amen. I like it's 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 the body's way of getting all that sin out of me. <laughs> Anyone find Acts chapter ten and verse forty-eight? You don't want me to quote it, no? My memory is not. A, I want to be. Pre- okay, he commanded them. To be baptized in the name of the Lord. What does Acts eleven fourteen says? Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? So when he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, that is words telling you how to be saved. Do you get that? It's not a wasn't a, an optional thing. The angel said he's going to tell you whatever he says. It's words of salvation. So the fact that Peter said, you must be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus is words of salvation. Not an added blessing, not something you do just to go along with it. Do you see that? So the sins against the body are forgiven by baptism. Isn't that awesome? Does that mean I have to be baptized every day if I want to drink soda? (laughs) No, I'm going to explain how we deal with that. No, that's not, we, 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 we shouldn't deliberately keep doing the same thing. And then we blame God. We blame God. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Isn't that awesome? So the angel was saying that the words that Peter was going to speak were words of salvation. That means we should listen to every single word that Peter said. And he said, after they were filled with the spirit, he commanded them. To be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So people who say that baptism is just an added blessing have not understood that the angel said, No, it is a salvation word, whereby thy all thy house shall be saved. So now, once we, once we do that, since we're still in this body, is it possible that we will sin again? Unfortunately, it's true. Yes, when we start at baptism, and I, and, and I love baptizing people. You know why? Because I love telling them as they come out the water, and you probably heard me say, you know, right now, you have no sins. You are as pure as if you were just born. Because you have been just born. I love telling people that. That's the one good thing about getting wet when you're baptizing people. I love when they come out the The moment they come out the I tell you, you know, right now, you have no sins. You are free and clear. God is looking at you as totally pure. Because I absolutely believe that when you baptize, it washes away your sins. We saw that in the scripture before, right? We saw that in the scripture before where he said, let me go back to here, to wash away your sins. When Paul went to Ananias, he says, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. But we just said... That unfortunately, because we're still stuck in this body, we are going to sin. Even unbelief is sin. You may not do anything anyone can see, but just doubting God is a sin. But how then do we deal with that? Well, actually, you who are here this morning are actually dealing with it. Because we maintain that cleanliness. What does it say? By the washing of the word. Do you understand? Every time you hear a word... God is removing your sin. So people who stay away from the word, they're getting dirty. You don't have to be rebaptized. All you have to really do is get some word. Keep getting the word. You do have to confess and repent, but you don't have to be baptized because as long as you're getting the word that, let me read it. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That is what the start of the journey, but to maintain it, the Bible speaks about we are washed by the word. The bishop that spoke yesterday, his word was washing me. I was trying to, I was not trying to say, is it them? <laughs> the disciples all said, when Jesus, one of you can betray me. They didn't say, it's him. They didn't all look at Judas. <laughs> what did they say? Is it I? Because every single one of us have the potential because we are flesh. 
I confess before I thought for many years I had I had dealt with anger. <laughs> I thought I thought I had really dealt with my anger until someone came in here one time and they said a few things and I just felt it and I wow it so shocked me. Man, the 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 anger that came upon me, you know, was 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 something. I said, Lord, I, I haven't dealt with this anger. I realize I'm still flesh. You're still flesh. That's why you may have a thorn in the flesh. Paul says that because of the surpassing great revelations, so that he wouldn't get big-headed to keep him on the ground, God allowed some things to still be there, even though he had prayed three times. God will sometimes allow some things into your life so that we keep grounded, that we will pray, that we will be humble, that we will acknowledge him. And that's... The only way sometimes that you're going to have to deal with this flesh is you have to let the word wash you. Amen. You have to let the word wash you. People who stay away from the word, they're not being washed. Uh, I read someone, I think I told you about this man who he was going to do an experiment and not wash for a year. <laughs> yeah, oh, indeed. Just, just imagine not having a shower or washing for a whole year. Obviously, you know what happened? He got extremely sick. And even after he did wash, it took months for his body to recover. We are designed in this body to be washed, both physically and spiritually. Amen. We need the washing of the word. So we see, though, that people try and separate the water baptism from the Holy Ghost baptism. And although it is two separate events, it is the one baptism. See, when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. And when we look at the scriptures, we'll see that he's speaking of this one baptism. In John 3, 3, Jesus answered him. And in John 3, 5, it says Jesus answered him. I'm, I'm putting the two scriptures to show you what Jesus was saying. John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you. John 3, 5, truly, truly, I say to you. John 3, 3, unless one is born of the, again, in John 3, 3, and in John 3, 5, unless one is born of the water and the spirit. So born again is equivalent to being born of the water and the spirit, not just the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Do you see what I'm trying to show you? That each verse is equivalent. 3, 3 is equivalent to 3, 5. Each phrase is equivalent to each other. So when he says born again in 3, 3, he makes it plain in 3.5 that means born of the water and the spirit, the one baptism. Because people say, well, I've been filled with the spirit, so I've been born again. Well, actually, according to Jesus, you have not. You've been born of the spirit, and I don't believe you're going to hell, but you have not fulfilled completely what he asked for. That's why in the previous chapter in Acts once Nicodemus, sorry, once Cornelius was filled with the Spirit, what did Peter then say? He commanded. He could have said, well, you know what? You've been filled with the Spirit. Um, when it's convenient for you, maybe in a month or two, you go get baptized. But that's not what he said. He said, commanded that you be baptized right there. And the Bible says his whole household was baptized. You can't do part of it. You have to do all of it. Amen. So at the start of the journey, you are washed, clean, and bathed. In John 13, 10, Jesus saith, And he that is washed, baptized, and sorry for the misspelling, needeth not to save to wash his feet. See now, just before he left, Jesus wanted to set up uh, something that they would remember about this baptism thing and being clean. Again, I'm talking about renewal. So the Bible says that after the first meal, he got up from supper laid aside his garments, put on a towel. And I want you to think about this. Who was doing this? The very God of creation started to wash his disciples' feet. Talk about showing us humility. Can you think about, can you picture this? He started to wash their feet. And Peter, of course, realizing this, said, wait a minute, you can't do that. And Jesus said, unless I do this, 
you have no part. He went on to say, you don't understand really what I'm doing now, but you will. Peter said, well, okay, since, since this is something so important, then let me wash out all of me. He says, no. Now, this is the point why you do not have to be baptized again if you have been baptized correctly the first time. He that is washed, and actually in the Greek, the word is baptized. He was telling Peter, if you've already been baptized, which you have been, needeth not save to wash, save but to wash his feet. The reason what Jesus was saying that is in those days, they went around with sandals, right? The roads were dusty. So in walking through the roads, their feet would get dirty. And so most houses of that day, when you went in, they had a basin and a bowl as soon as you came into the house so you could wash your feet. Jesus was trying to set up something here in in doing this, another little ceremony, a breadcrumb to show him that you only need to wash your feet. Well, how is your feet washed today? With the word. When we leave here, tomorrow morning, most of us will be going to work, going to school. We're, We're going to start walking in the dust of the world. You know, you may not have done anything. You may not have cussed, swore, do anything. But just going through the world hearing all kinds of things, seeing all kinds of stuff. In other words, ceremonially, your feet are going to, you know, you, you could have been in some place and you just come out feeling all dirty just because of the atmosphere, just because of the people who they were carrying on. Jesus was saying that when you come to church, you're getting your feet washed. You should leave different today than when you came in because of the washing of the word. So Jesus was showing you don't need to be baptized all over again, but you do need to symbolically have your feet washed because you are going to be walking out tomorrow into the world. And you're going to be in atmospheres that are unholy, that are, uh, that are sinful. You yourself are still sealed with the Holy Spirit, but there's no way you're going to walk and not get your feet dirty. You're going to come out of some places just feeling, Ugh. wish I hadn't heard that because you can't stop people talking. You can't oh, stop, shut up your ears. You may be on the bus and they're, they're playing all kinds of lewd and disgusting music. But you can then get the word back into your heart and purge that stuff. You don't have to let it meditate. You don't have to let it sit in there and, 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 and become vinegar and be, make you bitter. You can start getting your Bible out and start reading, getting a new fresh word that will wash your feet. Amen. Amen. So Jesus said to them, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean. He declared to Peter, you're clean. Why? Because you've already been baptized and you've been hearing my words. The Bible says, Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. The reason why they didn't have to be baptized save once, they were hearing words of spirit and words of life continually. In fact, the, after Jesus went and they were testifying in the Sanhedrin, they said, these people have been with Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if people know that we have been with Jesus? Amen. Just by our conduct, just by our speech, just by our lifestyle. There's something different about you. Do you go to church? <laughs> well, I do. Just as a matter of fact, I do go to church. Amen. Because we have been with Jesus. When you leave here today, you have been with Jesus. People should know that you have been with Jesus. Amen. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, why are you washing my feet? What I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. He goes on to say that uh, whatever the master has done, the servants need, will, will have to do. You, you're not greater than the master. We are to encourage one another through the word. We are, in fact, washing one another's feet. Amen? Amen? Here it is. Here is the explicit scripture that I've been talking about in Ephesians 5.26. That he might sanctify you, that means set you apart, and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So yesterday we got some word. Today we're going to get some more word. So we should be pretty clean. If, if you are taking it in, if you are bearing it in your heart, if you are letting it minister to you, you are washed by the word. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? Amen. I love the word. I love great preaching. I love great teaching because it's doing something to me. 
It's encouraging me. It's lifting up my... In fact, it's reviving me. It's renewing me. Amen. It's making me meditate. It's making me start to thank God. You know, I, I forgot to be grateful. I forgot to lift up his name. So the word is the water for the feet. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? I just think that's so great. And that's why in Romans 8, 1, even though we still are in the flesh, Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation, but there is a condition to them which are in Christ Jesus. Remember, and who, what's the word? Walk. Walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. He knew we were going to have to walk in this world. But it's how you walk. It's how you walk, where you walk. We do have some choices, right? Sometimes we have no choice. We get on a bus and you're going to hear all kinds of filth and foul, right? But some places you don't have to go to, right? You don't have to involve yourself in. So we are baptized by the water and the blood, remember the witness, and, we, and our feet are washed by walking in the word. That's why the more word you get, the, the more your spirit is going to be made purified. The scripture says he sanctifies, that means sets us apart and cleans us. And cleans us by the washing of the word. Let me read it again. That he might sanctify. I mean, set you apart, make you different, make you unique. The Bible says you are a peculiar people. We're not, yes, we are peculiar because we believe certain things that make us different. As we taught a couple of weeks ago, the truth separates. The truth separates and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Amen. You know, Paul in, in Romans 7 is explaining how, how the flesh works, that it, it fights the spirit. And yeah, there's times when you just don't want to do what you know you're supposed to do. Amen. And it doesn't get easy. And it says it's, there is enmity. There's a war. You know, there's a war that's going on. And he, therefore, he's going to make sure he serves God with the inner man. And he ends up, uh, Romans 7, by saying, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Because this, my prayer is, Lord, change me. Because there's times I don't like my flesh. I don't like sometimes who I feel I'm wanting to be. It, it, it's not, it's not, I'm not happy about that. That's my one constant prayer. Lord, change me. Sometimes God answers, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And as long as we will stay humble and let the word wash us and, 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 and be, be in, 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 in a, a confessing spirit because we need to repent sometimes. Then it says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And it's not being some super, super holy Pharisee kind of person. It's very simple, actually. It's very simple. It's what you're thinking about. In the flesh, the, the people who mind the things, what you're thinking about. If your thoughts are always fleshly, you're going to have trouble. But if you're meditating on the message when you leave here, remember I left you with a puzzle. Why, why was David not killed? Now, if you go away this week and start running some references and start searching the scriptures, you know, Maybe when you're meditating on the word, that is walking after the spirit. Because those that are in the flesh are going to think about the things of the flesh. So it's not as hard as you think. It's not that you, you go five steps and then, oh Lord, you know, it's not that. It's, it's, it's what you're thinking about. Amen. So is he able to save to the uttermost? Yes, he is. In the Old Testament, it was stoning. But is, he, is, is, is there a sin except against the Holy Spirit that cannot be forgiven? Yes, he can. Can, can murder be forgiven? Yes, rape be forgiven? Yes, child molestation be forgiven. Now in my flesh, that kind of, mm, I'm not sure about that. But I know what the word says. If there is true repentance, God can change a child molester. Amen. He can change homosexuality. He can. Torture be forgiven. I, I, I think um, one of the greatest messages I heard, I think, was about maybe a year or two ago, we had, um, I forgot his name came up, and he talked about uh, they were first called Christians at Antioch. That's right. And I know I came and told you about it, because he brought home the fact of how terrible Paul was before he was changed. And that how he, in fact, had Christians tortured. 
and had them put to death. Had them put, that's why he called himself the chiefest of sinners. And when you think about that, that and the way the brother portrayed it, it sounded so uh, incredible that now he's going to be introduced because the, the church at Antioch were people who had started off Jerusalem and had to flee because of Paul. And they're all living at Antioch. And then one day Barnabas brings Paul on the stage and says, here is your new pastor. <laughs> and in the audience, there are all these people who he has put in prison, had their husbands, maybe their wives killed their children. And now they have to forgive him. And he becomes their pastor. That was such an awesome message. So yes, torture can be forgiven. I'm so glad that God is a merciful God. In the Old Testament, you died under the word of two or three witnesses. Today, if those two or three witnesses are the Holy Spirit, the water and the blood, you live. Amen? You don't die. You can live. Incest, yes, God can be merciful to that. Now, there is one category of sin that is still not forgivable. Amen. And I think the last time Brother, Brother Putnam pointed out one more, and that is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Because in Matthew, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, if you do not forgive, you might not be forgiven. Amen. But in Matthew twelve thirty two, Jesus said this, And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be, be forgiven him. And whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, as I said, and I've probably said this before, but in the Old Testament, any sin directly against God could not be forgiven. But God, even in the New Testament, found a way around that when God became man. Now it was a sin against our fellow man, Jesus he said, you can speak against the Son and it can be forgiven. But there is still one aspect that is the same in the Old Testament as the New Testament. And that is in the spirit form, when you speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, that's not an easy sin to commit. It's not merely backsliding. It's not merely not coming to church. It's actively saying what you know to be true and yet saying that it's not true. It's, the Bible says, he that hath tasted of the heavenly gift. If you've truly once been filled with the Spirit and knew it to be true and still know it to be true, but then were to deny it, then you would have really got up to that line. And that's really the same in the Old Testament because the reason why God could not forgive them is you have to understand that they saw his might. The Bible says, they saw my works. It wasn't as if, I'm not sure if God exists. They saw the ten plagues of Egypt. They saw the, the Red Sea parting. They saw food fall from the sky. For 40 years, they saw a flame of fire at night. For 40 years, they saw a cloud cover them. There wasn't more that God could do to prove that he loved them. Or that he was with them. There was actually nothing more that he could do. For 40 years, their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never got old. For 40 years, a rock followed them and provided water. It wasn't as if God had to prove it. It wasn't as if they didn't know. But in another scripture, Peter says, some became willingly ignorant. And that's why in those cases, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin because you have put him, you have crucified him afresh. There's going around now some, well, it's not new, but some quite dangerous doctrines. Um, one of them is, is called universalism, in which it really doesn't matter. In the end, God is going to redeem everybody. Every single body, including Satan, demons, everybody. And... Um, there, these, these, these doctrines that are going around now are so dangerous, are so dangerous because it, of course, contradicts what this scripture says. It shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. There, I don't know what other world there is because after this is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it's saying neither in that 
age is it going to be forgiven? Yet, Satan has been so clever to try, try and twist s- certain scriptures and is deceiving a lot of people. Let me let you know that there are sin, there is a sin that won't be forgiven. There is a sin that there is no forgiveness. It was not in the Old Testament when it was against God in a spiritual form and is not forgivable in the New Testament in the spirit form after you have come to the knowledge of the truth because it's a sin against knowledge. It's not as if God, God will forgive ignorance and lack of knowing because Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Even the soldiers that were crucifying him, Father, forgive them. Why? They don't understand what they're doing. That's why those who have come to the truth, you know, you may not come to church. You may, you may say, well, I'm, I, it's true, but I'm not living it. That's, that's not good, but it's okay. You can, you can still be saved. But when you say it's not true and you know it to be, that's when you are in some trouble. But I just wanted to point out that we are, we, we are not as those that draw back. That's what Paul said. You, you are here today are not those that draw back. Amen. But we can still grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So if we, if we, don't, if we don't believe and if we, if we continually sin, we're, we're grieving God. We're hurting his love. There's nothing more hurtful than when you keep showing love to someone and then they throw it in your face. You know, no matter how much love. And, and, and God has certainly done that. That's what he did with the, with the Israelites, the Jews. He, he showed, he demonstrated his love by delivering them so many times. And yet they forsook him. And yet they rebelled. The truth is in the New Testament, if you're sealed with the Holy Spirit and if you're walking according to the Spirit, John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall what? Never perish. Amen. Neither shall any man pluck. You don't have to worry about Satan if you're in God's hands. You don't have to worry about that. I really believe that the, 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 apostles, the disciples that were on the ship could not have sunk. They, they could not have sunk. Why? Jesus was in their boat. If Jesus is in your boat, despite the storm, despite how bad it looks, you will not sink. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, sometimes we feel that way, that we are, are alone, but... We're not alone because Jesus himself had to, in his flesh, experience what it feels like to be alone. But I'm telling you, if you feel alone today, you're not. You're not. You're not. Hallelujah. I want to just go into the, the two witnesses. We'll be, we'll be finishing up soon. Now, Revelation 11.3 says, and I know that this, the, the majority explanation of this is for the two uh physical witnesses, but I, forgive me for using this uh, in this way today. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These have power to shut the heavens, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. It's interesting that, I, that the scripture we read, read before talked about the water and the blood and the spirit. In Revelation, it says the two witnesses that are left on the earth after the earth, after the church is gone, uh, they will be able to do the same thing that uh, Moses was doing, turn the water into blood and to bring the plagues because God is actually going to be showing again his power. Amen. He's going to be demonstrating his power once more on the earth. Because if you don't believe the two witnesses, the three witnesses now, which is the water, the blood, and the spirit, remember what I in the Old Testament? You died. In the tribulation, there will be two more witnesses of which you're going to die. The Bible says that there is going to be a time of trouble upon this earth such as never was. So you can either accept the witnesses now or be there to see the plagues and all of the, the, the blood and water of the witnesses then. He that 
despised Moses' law, died without mercy under two or three witnesses. 1 John 5, 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. So let's look, break this down a little bit more. The water then is the witness of the death of the flesh. Baptism. When you've been baptized, that water that you were baptized in is a witness to the death of the flesh symbolically. The blood is the witness to the saving of the soul. Amen. And the great thing is all those people, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, that they died without having received the promise. They had to have physical blood and physical sacrifices. But it says in Hebrews that God having uh, prepared a better thing, a better thing. What is that better thing? The Holy Spirit, Jesus. It goes on in chapter 12 to say, and to Jesus, the mediator, the go-between, the intercessor of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See, Abel's blood cried out for what? Judgment. Judgment. Jesus' blood cries out for what? Mercy. Grace. Isn't that awesome? That the sprinkling of the blood that we can get is one of mercy and grace. Hebrews 4, I think 16 says that we can come boldly. I quote that every week, don't I? That we can come boldly, boldly to a throne of grace, there to receive mercy. Amen. Amen. We're going to finish very shortly. And they were all baptized. Showing that nobody got from Egypt to Canaan without the baptism. They were all baptized unto Moses. You know the reason? See, God could have led them an easier route, or at least one that avoided the Red Sea. He could have gone around the Red Sea up into Canaan. But deliberately, he took them so that they had to, in other words, be baptized. This is brought out in... Corinthians, where Paul calls what they did a baptism. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud, because remember there was a cloud above them, and in the sea. The cloud represents the spirit, the sea, the water, the one baptism. The only way you got from out of Egypt to Canaan, you had to be baptized. And to show that, the people who were born in the desert who had not been baptized, they had to come to Jordan and the miracle was repeated. Amen? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Amen? If you could stand with me. Amen. Hallelujah. We want to be renewed. We want to be revived. And we want to do that through the washing of the word. Amen? No bringing of turtle doves or goats or anything like that here today. But if you will bring a contrite heart, a broken heart, and say, Lord, have mercy upon me. God has never failed to have mercy when there has been true repentance. And that's a clue to David. (laughs) When there has been true repentance, God has never failed to show grace and mercy. Hallelujah. And today we want, as we go into our 15th year I don't know when the rapture will come. It would be great, as I said, if it would come soon. Get us out of all kinds of stuff. I'm, I'm ready. I want to go. I'm selfish, though. I know God still has some people that he wants reached. Amen. If it was just for me, like Paul, you know, he said it would be better for me to go because it would have solved a lot of issues for him. But I know that that's selfish, that God has people here in Milwaukee, people you know, people you go, go amongst that need to be saved, that need to understand the love that God has and what he has done and the gospel message of salvation. Hallelujah. We're going to close this service and then we're going to sit down just for some, some comments and questions. So, Father, we thank you today for your goodness and grace. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to 
be here for 14 years, for keeping these doors open, for your blessing, Lord God, that you have extended to us. We ask right now, Jesus, hallelujah, that this word will wash us, Lord God, that it will be effective in our souls, Lord God. Lord God, that when we leave here, Lord Jesus, hallelujah, we will be renewed and we will be revived. Lord, with the washing of the word, let our faith, Lord, rise and stand upon the rock of your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, for a blessing, Lord God, an utterance in our second service that you will, oh God, accept our worship, Lord Jesus, that you will fill this atmosphere, hallelujah, oh Lord, with the presence, Lord, that your spirit will have liberty to minister, to touch, to change. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing, and we give you all the power and the glory in Jesus' name. Let's give God an offering of praise. Amen.